0: absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.
1: This podcast contains adult themes and language and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
2: everyone and welcome to Fruit Loops Season 2, Episode 13. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. (laughs) i don't know why i laugh every single time (laughs) (laughs) because you think about it you you like turn your head and hear the news is racist and you're like oh maybe they are
1: (laughs) at least that's why i
2: laugh (laughs)
1: Also, mm. our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is FruitLoopsPod, Pod, and our discussion group is FruitLoopsPod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at FruitLoopsPod. Pod. Everything is FruitLoopsPod. Pod.
2: That's right. Now, if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cash.me/slash pod or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. Or if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always just give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And be sure to share this podcast with your friends. That's right. So who are we talking about today, Beth?
1: Today we are talking about Henry Louis Wallace, also known as the Taco Bell Strangler. This subject was suggested to us by our fabulous Facebook group member, Rondica. That's right. I think I pronounced <laughs> it right this time.
2: Mm. Rondika.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Rondika. Yeah.
2: Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I, I believe... Uh, that's what that's how she pronounced it in her video on our Facebook yeah. page.
1: Okay, Veronica.
2: So. <laughs> <right. laughs> so, thanks for the suggest. Here we go. Uh, so how You doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Yesterday,
1: I went to a hot air balloon thing. It was yesterday morning, uh, bright Mm -hmm. and early. I left the house at like six o'clock in the morning. Uh, I went there with my son um, Mm -hmm. and we got to see uh, some hot air balloons inflate and take off. I wasn't able to see that when I went to the balloon fiesta in Albuquerque, which is why we went.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I
1: remember. uh, Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that the weather had to be almost perfect for, um, balloons to fly. And it was, it was a perfect day. And I was really happy that I got to see it. And uh, my son's really into photography. So he, he uh, wanted to take pictures. So he got some great shots.
2: Yeah. So you, you are, is hot air balloons, like kind of your thing? No, like... no, not at all. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I thought maybe it was a thing that you, like you seek that out I was into. regularly. Yeah, no,
1: no, I had never actually been interested in going to that balloon fiesta in Albuquerque until a friend of mine wanted to go. And uh, so we went and and it was Mm -hmm. just, it bugged the hell out of me that I didn't get to see them inflate and take off.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Understood. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) So this was, you know,
1: in good year, which is about a 45 minute drive for me. So not nearly as far as Albuquerque.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, wow, good. I'm glad that you got to see the balloons. Finally, that it paid off, and that you enjoyed yourself. But good God, six a.m. to go see something yeah. fun? Woo! You must really love them balloons.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they take off at at uh, sunrise, so yeah, we had to get oh, there early. Oh, is that?
2: Is that a hot air balloon thing? They have to take off. At it a seems time of to day? be.
1: That's how it was okay. in in Albuquerque too. Yeah. Oh. Well, I think yeah, after my. after a certain time, they they don't they can't fly. They, there's too oh. much wind. Oh. Like I okay. said, it has to be almost perfect. So. Okay. Um. I think they stop flying at ten o'clock in the morning. And mm-hmm. then um, later on at the same balloon thing, they had a balloon glow where they, the balloons stay on the ground and then um, they, they use the flames to heat the the air for the hot uh-huh. air and uh, uh-huh. the balloons glow when they do that.
2: Oh, pretty. So how long did you stay at this event?
1: Oh, no, we didn't stay for the balloon glow. <laughs> Oh, because <laughs> that that was later. Like, am you I know, asking at night. too many
2: questions?
1: <laughs> no, no. Oh, okay. It is kind of a weird thing. It's like, what the fuck? Balloons? Okay, white lady. <laughs>
2: okay, white
1: lady. I didn't. I didn't see very many people. What do you say? I'm
2: just out here <laughs> trying to survive, and you're out here watching balloons take You're off. out looking <laughs> at fucking balloons. All right, six o'clock in well, the morning. Day. You gotta go see some balloons. All right. <laughs> oh, that sounds. That sounds. Lovely, Beth. I am glad you got to see it and enjoy yourself. (laughs) And your son, too. Um, Well, uh, me? Uh, Let's see. So, uh, I don't know if anybody has been paying attention to what's been uh, going on in the world, but there just really wasn't that much much good stuff on my timeline this week. Yeah. I don't have to get into the bullshit. You've all seen it. Uh, it's Te- you were there. it's <laughs> terrible. You were there. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I I don't, do I need to mention that the Wendell Williams show still isn't back yet? It's just reruns. Uh, even my podcast feed wasn't like good stuff that was yeah. fulfilling yeah. me. And um it just got to be so much. So I needed to feed my spirit. And so I saw my therapist who was a Black woman. I sought her out intentionally, a Black female therapist. So that helped. So check that box. And then I listened to a lot of good music this week. Uh, there um, was some, some good new drops, new music that came out this week. So that was good. And then um, I also listened to, intentionally to podcasts by queer people and Black women. And it helped get me through the week. So I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Yes. <laughs> you made it. So now I we... <laughs> made it. Wait, we're here. So now we're going to get into some listener letters. The angels. Oh, hi, <laughs> angels. Thanks for my mail. Um, So we got... Uh, I loved this Instagram message from a listener that we got. Uh, He's a white guy. Shout out to my vanilla gorillas out there. That's another nickname for my husband. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This gentleman is named Jerry Cardwell. Well done, he said. Love listening to you guys. Chop it up. That being said, get the fuck off my lawn. And I'd like to speak to a manager. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies, he said. The lack of melanin always showing up to the party uninvited. Uh, And he said, I love listening to you both. And (laughs) you know what, Jerry, we love you, too. And you get all the hip hop air
1: horns. (laughs) So I got a a message from Francesca on Facebook, and she said, I recently found Fruit Loops podcast on Spotify, and I have been in love ever since episode one. Mm. Wendy and Beth (laughs) make my morning commute bearable. (laughs) Keep up the great audio, ladies, and thank you for listening, Francesca.
2: That's right. Francesca and Jerry, thank you both. (laughs) Woo, We love y'all. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's it for listener letters, but keep them coming. Uh, We are going to take a quick ad break and get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. Who are we talking about today, Beth? (laughs) Uh, Today we are talking about
1: Henry Louis Wallace, an American serial killer who killed 11 women in North and South Carolina. Uh, Many serial killers target strangers, victims whom they have no link or relation to whatsoever. Henry Louis Wallace was not that kind of serial killer. No, ma'am. Wallace preyed on people that he knew, his co-workers and acquaintances.
2: Oh, this guy. So yeah. uh, now we are going to get into my favorite part of the show, which is the stats. Brrr. All right. (laughs) Henry Lewis Wallace left 11 victims in his wake. He was born on November 4th, 1965 in Barnwell, South Carolina. So he was a great migration baby. His crimes were committed from 1990 to 1994. His victims were all young black women. And I'm going to speak their names because they matter. Caroline Love, Shauna Hawk, Audrey Ann Spain, Valencia M. Jumper, Michelle Stinson, Vanessa Little Mac, Betty John Boakum, Brandy June Henderson, and Deborah Slaughter. Also, their families that were left behind were also victims, so we have to consider them as well when we bring this story up. His crimes took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, His AKAs, he only has one, sad face, and uh, it's the Taco Bell Strangler. But wait a minute. Beth, you found the second one. He has found two one, yeah. AKAs. All right. Uh, the second AKA is the Charlotte Strangler. His, his M.O. was murder and rape by strangulation with his bare hands. Then he escalated and started using ligatures. Uh, then he added some stabbing with a knife toward the end of his spree. And he was apprehended on uh, March 12th, 1994. Why not
1: add in some stabbing? Why not?
2: Why not? Because when you're on these sprees, you got to kick it up a notch every time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just add. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) So tell us more about where this happened, Beth. Hit it. (laughs) Most of
1: this story takes place in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, which, by the way, is where my maternal grandparents lived.
2: Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, and I have been there. Okay. I visited my grandparents there. So yeah. did they
2: live on a plantation? No. Okay. <laughs> they lived in a suburb. <laughs> I just assume everybody, I know, I know, I should All know better, but people. I just assume South Carolina is full of white people on these big, uh, spacious plantations with crops and giant houses, you know, like, uh, the one <laughs> Forrest Gump grew up in. Is that yeah, what your No, was no, like? no. Nope. Okay. No, nope, okay. not at all,
1: <laughs> okay. It was like a mid century suburban home with uh brick facing and yeah it was pretty cute actually.
2: Oh, <laughs> is that where your people like heralded from? Is that where they're from? uh,
1: some of them, but um my grandmother was from Tennessee, so my maternal grandmother's side uh they're southern, and then my oh. grandfather. He was Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania Dutch, so they were an odd couple. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, my uh, grandparents lived in North Carolina, and some of this story took place in South Carolina, um, and a tiny, tiny, tiny part of it took place in Washington, and so uh, it took place in the 90s. Uh, Charlotte was in the midst of, guess what? Oh, What? What's that? A crack epidemic.
2: <laughs> Here we go again. the crack <laughs> should be a, a character in all of these stories. In, uh, in like... a lot of these stories. A lot yeah. of them, yeah. I
1: want to find ones where
2: it's not a character. <laughs> no, we'll see. We'll see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yep, yep. Back
1: in the early 1980s, uh, the city averaged around 40 murders a year. And a handful of homicide detectives could handle it. But that started to change at the end of the decade when crack was in
2: full swing. Full swing. Here we go. Uh, There had been drugs in Charlotte for decades. Marijuana, of course, also harder drugs like heroin and powder cocaine. Even illegal liquor houses were trouble spots for police. But something was different about crack. It was purer and cheaper, and an average rock sold for $10. At first, it seemed like a big city problem. Uh, It started in New York and Miami, but as the 80s rolled on, it showed up in smaller towns
1: the cheapness of the drug changed the dynamics of entire communities and ecosystems. It allowed younger distributors to enter the market as young as their early teens, I think, and even younger than that. Uh, The distribution system changed. Drugs were sold on the street because that was the only place young people of color were allowed to exist outside of their homes and jobs. And weapons became more available.
2: I'm going to just interject here. There's some people who's who believe that the drugs that specifically crack and the weapons that are um that flooded communities poor communities and communities of color during the 80s and 90s believe that it was the government who did it and it has something to do with the government's involvement in um central american countries um and they were like uh I, I don't know, some deal was was struck with um, American government officials and Central American government officials um, who were like, well, we'll just send your guns to um, America and then we'll funnel them through the United States. I don't know if that's true, but I have heard that rumor uttered. And um, since this is part of the story, I thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, so there was A lot of young people with um, serious hardcore substances, they had serious money and big toys, including deadly weapons, which contributed to an increase in violence. Older dealers figured out quickly that juveniles wouldn't do much jail time um, for drug violations. So they enlisted younger children as handlers and runners, and even younger kids could make money just keeping a lookout for the police.
1: Powder cocaine had been a rich white man's drug, but crack worked its way into poorer communities of color, and just as addicts could get a quick and powerful high from smoking, an enterprising dealer could amass a
2: small fortune in a few weeks of selling. Wow. Well, yeah. Uh, if you're poor you're, and and the money's there, I mean, it would be hard yeah. to turn those deals down. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. Suddenly, the dope boy became the godfather of the hood, able to offer help and protection for people in the neighborhood as a result of his wealth and status. If you had a neighborhood cookout, they would provide the money. If your lights were off or rent was due, the dope boy could help you out. Sex work also increased and trap houses
1: emerged. Addicts would trade stolen goods for a few rocks, and the sellers would then offer the stolen goods to neighbors at a discount. Everything from meat from the grocery store to TVs and guns.
2: Mm. The city went from 48 murders in 1988 uh, to 80 murders in 1989. In 1991, there were 121 murders. Quite a spike, violent Go crime ahead. in general. Yeah, <laughs> violent crime in general spiked up too, up to um, up sixteen percent between nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety three. But no year was more violent than nineteen ninety three. One hundred twenty nine people were killed that year, more than ever before or since. The homicide unit was stretched thin, and in nineteen ninety three. Charlotte's homicide unit was comprised of, get this, six officers, six detectives. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> that's not very yeah. many. No. <laughs> so now we're going to get into Henry Lewis Wallace's early life.
1: Take it away, Beth. Henry Lewis Wallace was born in Barnwell, South Carolina on November 4th, 1965, which again is my birth year uh mm. he was the second child born to lottie Mae wallace an unwed mother who had been orphaned at 13 uh, she had been sexually assaulted and emotionally abused so she had some baggage with her too
2: she did she did and um south carolina i'd never been there don't intend to go there but um Race is uh, also a very important part of the story. R- racism, slavery, segregation. Um, South Carolina has a very, um, the, both of the Carolinas, very rich history of um, these issues. And I think we'll get it to it in the end, but they play a part in um, how Wallace's mother developed and became who she was and how he became who she was, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. yes. Uh, his father was said to be a married school teacher who dropped Lottie when she got pregnant. Um, Henry Wallace's father rejected him before birth, declaring him to be a mistake and abandoned his mother, never providing any financial support other or or other support for his family. He never saw Henry Wallace, never visited him and rejected him throughout his life, which is really sad. It is really sad.
1: Uh, Lottie May worked long hours as a textile worker. Uh, she was a harsh disciplinarian, constantly criticizing her son for even the smallest mistakes. His childhood home had no indoor plumbing or electricity. Carmeta Albaris, Wallace's state-appointed psychiatrist during his trial later, told jurors of a mother who would sometimes force her son and daughter to beat each other with a switch
2: welcome to culture corner with wendy and beth (laughs) (laughs) now anybody out there with a black american grandmother or mother knows about getting the switch um that's right when you act up your mother or your grandmother will send you outside to the front yard or backyard to pick up a stick for them to beat your ass with and if you get a skinny one or a small one that in your mind is like, this isn't gonna hurt me too much. I'm gonna give this to her and then I'm not gonna die. Then she would say, uh-uh, this is not adequate. And she would go grab one herself and best believe she's getting the biggest, thickest one she can find to beat your ass with. So again, you run the risk of getting one with thorns on it Yikes. if you let your your grandmother or mother pick it out. So you you have to choose wisely. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very uh a nerve wracking decision-making process when you are picking the right <laughs> thing else. To yeah,
1: boy, that sounds even worse than the beating.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you better choose wisely. So, um, when I, I, some of the sort one of the sources I, uh, was referencing, uh, described that she, his mom would be so tired because she worked a lot that she would send Um, the both kids out and have them pick switches to beat each other with. So anyway, uh, don't get beat by a switch. (laughs) It's (laughs) <laughs> it's <sucks>. up,
1: <laughs> and be careful when picking one
2: <laughs> and be careful when picking one truth wisely <laughs> so on with the story
1: yeah Wallace's mom <laughs> would discipline him and his sibling with switches and when like Wendy said when she was too tired from working long hours she would send them outside to hit each other with switches mm, as a form of right. punishment <laughs> I shouldn't laugh but it is what it is (laughs) 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 Uh, since his mom was working so much that left a lot
2: of time and freedom for wallace to act a fool that's right his mother often called him stupid or clumsy and degraded him his mother and sister would dress him as a little girl and parade him around the neighborhood he was exposed to violence at a young age and he witnessed a gang rape Whoa, at age seven. That's horrible. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. As he got older, Wallace's mother further
1: degraded his girlfriends and routinely deprived him of his privacy by searching his room, his wallet, his belongings, and even into adulthood, his car. Whoa. Yeah. Henry Wallace began exhibiting psychological and emotional problems in his early teenage years. We're not surprised by this, are we? (laughs)
2: Mm -mm, Nope, (laughs) Uh, no (laughs) uh wallace attended barnwell high school where he was elected to student council and was a cheerleader and he had been described as one of the most popular people in his class at school and it has been remarked that he seemed to have a pleasant personality sweet smile and seemingly gentle nature his 10th grade history teacher at barnwell high school said He was neat and clean at all times. He was an average, hardworking student who could make a friend of anyone. Wallace also
1: made an impression on Bobby Nichols, who was a sales manager and afternoon air personality at WBAWFM in Barnwell. Wallace started working at the radio station his senior year in high school after impressing Nichols one day. Nichols said he walked in here and said, I'm Henry Wallace. I love your show and I would like to work for you. And then he got hired. (laughs)
2: Wow. Good for him. So... Yeah. At this point in his life, things seem okay, even yeah, though he's having emotional problems. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, you have to be a very charismatic person to be on the radio. Yeah. And to be a cheerleader and be in student council. So, yeah. okay. Nichols was so impressed by Wallace that he would let him borrow his car to run errands. According to Nichols, Wallace had a way of making whatever he was talking about sound interesting. And he was great at mimicking singers, especially rap artists. Oh, I wish I could have heard. Wallace tried his hand at college, but then decided to join the Navy. Um, I wanted to say here, my dad did the same. He'd played college football for a number of years, been a football star. I think he got hurt. And then, um, he didn't end up graduating from college. And later he joined the Navy as a way to, um, to find his come up, uh, your come up is, you know, your economic ladder. And I think at the time, many other black and brown guys did the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. It was a way to make it out of poverty, to see the world, and have access to more opportunity than you would otherwise as a regular black and brown civilian with no education. Right, himself.
1: right. So um, his options were dwindling, and uh, he chose that career, uh, as you mentioned, aggressively aimed at poor young black men in America: the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, joining mm-hmm. the navy he spent 8 years as a sailor earning laudatory reports traveling around the world and marrying his high school sweetheart maretta brabham in 1985
2: no oh. well in the navy in the navy <laughs> you can in the navy i don't know the rest of the words do you <laughs> da, 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 da. in the navy in the navy that's all i know <laughs> Okay, so in the Navy, Wallace Shone. he was described as an outstanding seaman who willingly followed all orders given to him and accomplished his assigned tasks in a timely manner. It was noted that his knowledge level was higher than expected of a seaman. He was eventually promoted to third class petty officer before he left service. His achievement ranking was nearly perfect. Way to go. But he was dismissed from the navy
1: after he was arrested in January 1988 in Bremerton, Washington, and charged with trying to steal a VCR, a TV, and a microwave. Although his sterling navy record allowed him an honorable discharge.
2: Uh, so now we're going to get into the timeline. So uh, while uh, Wallace was living in Barnwell, uh, he became a disc jockey for the same radio station that he worked at in high school. He called himself the Night Rider. Hey, I can hear the theme song in my head. <laughs> uh, I don't do it right. It sounds like uh, he was Mr. Fun, Mr. Congeniality. Um, which makes me think that he must have been as charming as the inconspicuous Ted Bundy. He's like a black Ted Bundy.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And he was also pretty intelligent, I think, like ten Bu- yeah. Ted Bundy was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing th- about him that did strike others as unusual was that Wallace, who had once ballooned to 251 pounds on his six foot one inch frame. Uh, seemed to gain and lose weight in furious cycles after he came back from the Navy. And I wonder why. Do you think it was the crack? I think it might have been the crack.
2: Mm. Well, I found my new weight loss plan. I didn't know crack made you lose weight. <laughs> I'm out here running running five miles a day six times a what the week. How am I thinking? <laughs> still a still a size 12? What is this? <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> uh so <laughs> Wallace was let go from the station in 1989 when tapes and other equipment began turning up missing. Bobby Nichols, the guy who uh, he worked with in high school and station manager, Drew Wilder, suspected Wallace had taken the items, uh, but they could not prove that he took the items. Both Nichols and Wilder remember Wallace didn't seem the least bit upset when they confronted him about the tapes and they let him go.
1: Wallace found other jobs rather easily, winning employers over with his clean cut looks and gentle smile. Henry just walked into Sandoz Chemical Company in Barnwell County and got a job at the popular plant, which regularly turned away hundreds of applicants. He's Ooh. been
2: described as smooth and charming. Oh, well, uh, recurring theme: smooth, smoothness yeah. and charmingness. In early 1990, Tashonda Bathia was murdered. She was the first murder victim of serial killer Henry Louis Wallace. She met him sometime around 1989 or 1990. The two had a family connection. Their mothers worked at the same factory and they were friends. She was a high school senior in Barnwell, South Carolina, and uh, she was just 18 years old. She
1: was pretty and bright-eyed. Wallace had a crush on her and wanted to date her. She sometimes accepted rides in his 1980 Oldsmobile but she resisted his more amorous advances she wasn't interested in him and
2: uh that made him angry um how much older is he than her he was born in 65 hmm. she's 18 at this time he must have been in his uh yeah quite a bit yeah uh bethea went to her last ride on an afternoon in mid-march wallace was driving in downtown barnwell shortly after dark when he saw Bethia walking along the street and offered her a ride he drove eight miles west of town and pulled onto a dirt road near the pond and told her this is where you get out outside the car he took a Three fifty-seven Magnum pistol from his pocket and demanded sex. You're going to do what I want you to do or else, he said. See what I've got? After Wallace
1: raped Tashanda, he reportedly asked if she would tell anyone. At first, she said yes, but then became scared and said she wouldn't tell. But it was too late. Wallace feared that Bathia would report the crime, so he decided to kill her.
2: Okay. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Not my first, not my, that's, my mind wouldn't go to any of those places, but I'm also not a serial killer, so. Right, and uh, you wouldn't have raped anybody either. (laughs) I wouldn't have raped anybody at gunpoint, so we're just. We're just not cut from the same cloth. That's all. No, no, (laughs) Even though we're two black people. (laughs) uh, What? You're not exactly the same? We're not all the same. (laughs) 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 Nope. We are a little bit. Each of us is a little bit different from the other. Just a little bit. Yeah. Can you believe that? Uh, So he, he tried twice to choke her attempting strangulation a second time after the victim revived in his back seat. Then he slashed her wrist and throat with a box cutter and threw her into a pond. An autopsy uh, after the body was discovered two weeks later concluded that she was still alive when he threw her in the water. So I feel so awful for this girl. What a terrible way to go. I know. Um, And Wallace was a
1: person of interest in her murder after the body was discovered in the pond by two fishermen on April 1st, 1990, several weeks after she had been reported missing. Homicide investigators quickly narrowed their list of possible suspects to three or four people who were seen with Bethia before she disappeared, and Wallace became the top suspect.
2: Forensic experts combed Wallace's car for traces of blood, hair, or fibers from Bethia's clothing, but found nothing. But Wallace had thoroughly cleaned and vacuumed the vehicle after the murder. Wow. He was questioned in connection with her disappearance and murder, but was left off this or or was let off because uh, there wasn't enough evidence to arrest him. Now, normally the police are very quick to arrest any black dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with any connection with any crime. So I don't know what they were but doing not, here. Not yeah. Well, I think he not was very this charming. One.
1: Yeah, the, yeah. He was very charming. And the charm. The charm. Flipped through the cracks. And he was also yep. pretty smart, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, immediately he went and cleaned his car, and mm-hmm. he was very careful um about evidence we'll see yeah. throughout the case he was very careful that's about right. evidence so yeah. that's right we'll get into it yep so the day after Bethia's body was found on april 1st 1990 wallace was arrested and charged with the attempted rape of a 16 year old barnwell girl so a different girl uh the 16 year old hmm. and wallace uh, were on a date on march 31st 1990 And after visiting a couple of nightclubs where Wallace bought beer for the girl, they drove to a motel.
2: According to an Allendale police report, the suspect grabbed her and knocked her to the bed and tried to disrobe her. During the struggle, the victim alleges suspect produced a weapon and pointed it at her head, saying they had to make love. Victim kept screaming. Finally, suspect took victim home. That's just what's in the police report. So
1: that was directly from the police report. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: The girl's mother swore
1: out an arrest warrant and Wallace was arrested and spent at least eight days in jail before being released on bond. Wallace was charged with assault with intent to have sex with a minor female. But court records show he was allowed to enter the pre intervention program designed for nonviolent first-time offenders.
2: Wait, sex with a minor female doesn't count as violent? I with guess. a gun? <laughs> Didn't he have a gun?
1: I thought he... Uh, yeah, produced a weapon. Okay. Uh, well, well uh... I think, as, as we mentioned before, he was very suave. And uh, I think a lot of people okay. took pity on him.
2: Uh, why the pity part? Why do you think that?
1: I don't know. They thought he could turn his oh, life around.
2: Maybe sometimes the justice system really baffles me <laughs> because uh, I thought violent criminals got the book thrown at them no mm-hmm. matter what, especially if they're non-white dudes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, okay, not All this right. guy. All right, I. I see you, Justice System. I see you over there making moves, robbing and weaving, confusing and confounding all of us. Uh, That happened despite the violent nature of the assault charge. Wallace's 1988 burglary conviction. The fact that he was already a suspect in Bathia's murder and his failure to show up in trial. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a
1: healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp
2: online therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruits HQ. Oh, yes, and we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years, to help us deal with challenging times, Mm -hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings, and experiences. Amen. Yes, and uh, now, I had a recent you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying, sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't yeah. have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So
1: Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So
2: Oh, yes. And
1: it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at Better. BetterHelp.com slash fruit.
2: That's better. BetterHelp.com slash fruit fruit. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including Old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and
1: our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why modern fertility was created. It's an easy An affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll
2: get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000 but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really
1: cool, Mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility.
2: Wow! that's amazing. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the
1: test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash fruit. That's modernfertility.com
2: slash fruit. In October 1990, Uh, even though Wallace never, oh, yeah. That's, that's what I meant to say <laughs> <laughs> all, to all those things. Even though Wallace never completed the required counseling sessions and community service necessary to avoid prosecution under the, the PTI program, he still was never prosecuted. Yeah. Should we define what the PTI program is? Uh, That was the the pretrial
1: intervention program designed. Oh, for that's more, right. That's right. Okay. Nonviolent first time offenders. Yeah. I don't know exactly okay. what okay. what all that entails, but that's what it is. That's what it is got it yeah for some reason this guy uh, was able to slip through which is which is usually a white guy thing <laughs> exactly my brother has been in so much trouble and somehow he's still not in jail and i don't get it <laughs> uh-
2: Is your brother a rich white dude? (laughs) He's not rich, no, but he's white. But he is a white dude. I don't don't get it. Well, I mean, even my husband has had run-ins with the law. Like my husband loves to speed. He's had so many speeding tickets. Um, and I was pulled over with my husband in the car one time, and he was like arguing with the police. Like I, I was, I was terrified for my life. And the police officer was like you know why I pulled you over, dude? You know how fast we were going? And my husband was like, had how an how answer for everything and was like, I wasn't speeding. How dare you? How he said, "How dare you to the police?" Oh I was oh when god. I say I I sunk into the passenger seat thinking that he would he would brandish bullets in my direction <laughs> at that moment. <laughs> I oh my god. And uh, my husband just it's like the police are just regular citizens who are here to do a, a job like he doesn't look at them at, as like the same murderers. way you do, like yeah. Yeah, yeah, the same way I do. So it was just it was just crazy being in that situation and seeing how different uh, a white guy reacts to the police compared to well, all the other
1: I, I don't police interactions. I don't. I, I'm like yes or no. Well, sir. you're a
2: woman too, right? <laughs> yes, yes or yeah. no, sir. But my my can I tell you, my husband has not uttered the word "sir" to anybody, and that's that's the wonderfulness of being old whitey. Get off my lawn. Can I speak to a manager? I don't need to call anybody, sir. He's never called anybody, sir. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's oh, So, tangent, sorry. Uh So,
1: yeah. Where so, we? Wallace <laughs> slid through the justice system just like a white dude. <laughs>
2: He must have had his magic white guy cloak on that day. (laughs) So in February
1: 1991, Wallace (laughs) broke into his old high school (laughs) and the radio station where he used to work. And he stole video and recording equipment and was caught trying to pawn them. And then in 1992, he was also charged in Rock Hill, uh which is another town uh with raping a teenage acquaintance at gunpoint these were buried mm-hmm. in a backlog of other cases and those charges did not even get to court
2: that's a that's a damn shame yeah um and uh that's the the that's nobody's fault but law enforcement, (laughs) to be honest. Um, By this time, his marriage had fallen apart. His wife had left him and he was fired from his job as chemical operator for Sandoz Chemical Company. He moved back in with his mother and sister when he relocated to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area of North Carolina. Wallace's life
1: in Charlotte was uh, pretty unstable. He was fired from several different restaurants, uh, that he worked at, but eventually he ended up as a manager at a Taco Bell. He started smoking crack cocaine regularly. Where do you land on Taco Bell, Beth? Um, I actually like Taco Bell. I think it's delicious. <laughs> I know it's not Mexican food. I'm not stupid. I know it's not. We live in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, I know what Mexican food is. We Mexicans get it. We get
2: it. Me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like, you know, McDonald's doesn't have hamburgers either, but... <laughs> but yeah I
2: like Taco Bell oh I love it and anybody who says otherwise get the fuck out of here in May 1992 (laughs) Wallace encountered Sharon Nance she was 33 years old she was a sex worker her family knew her as a sweet woman who drew she wrote poetry and she loved her son relatives say she fell in with a bad crowd she started to use drugs and got into trouble in an odd twist, Detective Gary McFadden, who later investigated the case, said she, he actually knew Sharon. And Gary McFadden is the black detective who was brought onto the case towards the end. But he, he's he's important into closing closing this loop. And right. it probably is because he was black that it that he was like, uh, hello, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think there's a connection here <laughs> anyway. <laughs>
1: So Gary McFadden said, "Uh, Sharon was one of the first people I met when I came to Charlotte. She had a beautiful smile. Sometimes we overlook people's hearts because of their profession. But I just remember her for always having a great time. There was always laughter, like, that's the little detective, that's the little police officer who came from (laughs) South Carolina, and now he's in the big city.
2: (laughs) That's so funny. That really paints a picture of this woman, this, this victim. I, I, I feel like I know her. I feel like I miss her. I, I, I'm, I'm so glad you included that quote from him about her. Uh, that makes me smile, but the rest of the story is not smile worthy. It was, (laughs) uh, uh, this is another quote. It was heartbreaking. Her lifestyle was complicated. Um, but I think we need to look at it from a different perspective. She was a person. She was loved. She was a human being. So no matter what your lifestyle is like, you're still someone's daughter. I think we need to look at that more closely, especially as law enforcement, when you are investigating these cases because of their profession or lifestyle. And this this officer is getting all oh, the hip hop. Unlimited bearers unlimited (laughs) hip hop air horns because this he needs to train all of the police like all uh, every every last one from all 50 states need to need need a seminar from this gentleman because (laughs) this is how this is how you need to look at protecting and serving people Mm -hmm. no matter what they are or what they do or what they look like um so they're, they're all human beings yep they're all human beings Also, listen to our show. It airs every (laughs) Thursday. (laughs) So
1: when uh, Sharon Nance left her aunt's house that day in May, she wore a black dress and talked about going out with friends. When she didn't return and she didn't call, her Aunt Linda Nance knew that something was wrong. But it wasn't until a week later, on May 27th, 1992, when TV reports showed police finding a woman's body in a black dress, that the family knew how bad it was. She had been beaten to death and left by some railroad
2: tracks. She left behind a son named Rashid. On June 15th, 1992, Wallace let himself into his girlfriend's apartment. He had secretly made a copy of her key, which is... uh. Very shady. Creepy as fuck. To say the least, his girlfriend, Sadie McKnight, shared the apartment with 20-year-old Caroline Love. Caroline Love was Sadie's co-worker at a local restaurant named Bojangles. In Espanol, we say Bojangles. (laughs) (laughs) Bojangles. (laughs) Bojangles. Bojangles. (laughs) Neither was home when Wallace let himself in.
1: Caroline Love was hired as a cashier at the Central Avenue Bojangles. Bojangles (laughs)
2: <laughs> Bojangles <Yes. laughs>
1: in September 1989, and worked there until that June day in 1992. She was described by coworkers as very likable and a hard worker. She was always on time, even though she was going to school, too.
2: Shout out to you, Caroline Love. Way Mm -hmm. to go, sis. You know, get doing all the things. Um, After she finished her shift that day, Love asked the night manager if she could buy a roll of quarters to do her laundry. The night manager exchanged a roll of quarters for a $10 bill. Love left the premises and walked home to her apartment six blocks away. When she got there, Wallace gave her a kiss on the cheek. Uh... I don't know you like that, Mr. Wallace. (laughs) Love told Wallace that if he promised not to do that again, she wouldn't tell his girlfriend about it. Wallace responded by putting her in a chokehold that he later
1: described to police as the Boston choke until she was Mm. barely conscious. He then dragged her to the bedroom, removed her clothes and raped her while continuing to apply the chokehold. When Love began to struggle during the rape, Wallace reached for the nearest object, which was a
2: curling iron, and he choked her to death with its cord. Wallace wrapped Love's corpse in her bedsheets, stuffed her into a large orange garbage bag, and dragged her out to his car, unnoticed by anyone. No, not one person saw this. Returning to the apartment, he grabbed the roll of quarters and locked the door. He then drove the vehicle to Charlotte city limits and dumped the body in a ditch.
1: Later, when uh, his girlfriend McKnight grew concerned that her roommate had disappeared and she went to the police station to file a missing person report, Wallace accompanied her to the station. The investigation turned up nothing. It would be almost two years, March 1994, before the body was recovered in a wooded area in Charlotte. When Wallace directed them there.
2: Fuck this guy. Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) That's diabolical. He's El Diablo. He's the devil, seriously. Uh, On February 19th, Wallace visited 20 year old Shauna Hawk at her apartment. Shauna was one of Wallace's employees at Taco Bell and also a student at Central Piedmont Community College, studying to become a paralegal. She had worked part time to help pay the family bills. Uh, from the time she was 14, lying about her age so that she could get hired at McDonald's.
1: Wallace raped her, then strangled her to death and left her body fully clothed in a bathtub full of water. He also stole $50 from her. Shauna was found in the bathtub by her mother and her boyfriend. Uh, Recall the story. Her mom had called the boyfriend because she didn't know uh, where her daughter was and the boyfriend came over and the boyfriend mm-hmm. went into the bathroom and found her as pretty yeah, sad. It was really sad. Wallace later uh, actually attended Shauna's funeral. That's some fuck shit. Yeah, that is. Mm-hmm. Dee Sumter, Shauna's mom now describes the weeks and months after Shauna's murder as the pinnacle of pain. I remember lying in bed and thinking, I don't want to be here anymore. And I can totally understand
2: that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, burying a child is a very unnatural act, as um, my great auntie Oprah always says. Um, Worst uh, nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I can understand this mother's pain, but uh, she does eventually turn it into good, her pain. So we'll get into that later. Actually, right now. Oh, here we go. Here it is. (laughs) Uh, Dee's lifelong friend, Judy Williams, thought Sumter needed a new purpose. The pair, along with Judy's son, thought a support group for mothers of other murder victims could help channel some of her pain. So in March 1993, mothers of murdered offspring, Momo, started meeting. Pretty dope. Beyond supporting other victims'
1: families... D began to advocate for changes to police department procedures, saying detectives were not doing enough to solve Shauna's murder and others. It was a tense relationship and she made some enemies on the force. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But today she says her organization and the department's homicide support group worked together To help victims family members cope
2: that is really fucking awesome it is i am so uh saddened by the circumstances that uh had to erect this organization that she formed but i'm really glad that she's doing this work um yeah so to this day shout out to momo Mm -hmm. to this day that's right so uh and this is where we're going to end this episode we have so much to talk about the taco bell strangler so stay tuned uh next week for the second half of the story um see you then but in the meantime (laughs) now we're gonna get into (laughs) how not to get murdered Uh, <clears throat> if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> you see, I've been doing the shoulder shimmy while I've, while I, while you're do doing that, it. And I, yeah. I, I feel like it helps, helps me get the notes get out, out. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: So this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips.
2: All right. Well, uh, Beth, take it away.
1: <laughs> so this week we're just going to read some of our how not to get murdered tips. The hashtag how not to get murdered. hashtag how not to get murdered yeah. tips. Yes, man. <laughs> so uh, this is from Dorian, and mm-hmm. Dorian said, "I spend most of my time in my apartment with the door locked. Okay, it has two deadbolts. Lock my car doors when I'm in it. Pay attention to the people around me when I am out." good Great good tip. tips.
2: Do you want to read the next mm-hmm. one? Sure. This one is from Devin. Devin said, "Honestly, I stay inside watching and listening to stuff about murder. Keeps me from getting snatched and or stabbed." So far.
1: <laughs> Marlene said, "I'm taking Krav Maga, which I'm really jealous, Marlene, cuz I I want to take that." What is it? It's it's a Israeli self-defense uh, like the Israeli oh. uh, military self-defense, yeah. Uh huh. And Ooh, it looks was super cool. Did you watch Jessica Jones on on Netflix? I, I, okay,
2: yes, but only a couple of episodes. Is that her fighting oh, okay. style, Krav Maga?
1: No, no, it was uh, her friend uh, started taking Krav Maga. Oh, okay. okay. The blonde lady. I, I
2: fucks with Jessica Jones because she is a Marvel character who is very right. flawed, but uh (laughs) super dope (laughs) yeah i like jessica jones (laughs) yeah
1: so anyway uh marlene takes krav maga (laughs) which i'm Uh totally jealous of um but she said i'm sure you can youtube easy self-defense moves carry a whistle Let friends and family know where you'll be
2: if going out. Oh, the whistle, the whistle is a good one. I used to carry a a rape whistle in my, in my fanny pack. I have a whistle, Yeah, I have a whistle too. Um, and, uh, I also have a fanny pack. Let's not, let's not, um, forget about that detail. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to fanny packs. Um, all right. AJ Day Said to us uh, via hashtag how not to get murdered. Share your journey via Uber slash taxi app on your phone with friends. Very smart, she said. Also, give them the driver's name, car registration, and any permit numbers. Ooh, elaborate, but worth it if you want to not get murdered. Asking the driver those details lets them know you're sharing their information, Ooh. which discourages them from anything, and also. People know who to blame if you do get strangled. Good, good one. I like it. Uh, That is a really good one. I like that one. Um, Also, this probably doesn't help, but when my husband is out, I pee in the bathroom with the door open so I can hear if anyone breaks in and try to escape. Oh, (laughs) and don't sit in an empty train carriage and don't sit alone on the top deck of a bus. Thanks, Luther wow those are fire those are fire yeah, ass are how not ones. to get murder tips aj yeah, bless your yeah. sweet little aj heart oh my
1: goodness that was good <laughs> good ones and she watches luther which i love luther
2: hey with idris elba <laughs> yes. yes oh yes oh, he's so
1: hot <laughs> let's take a moment for (laughs) okay
2: (laughs) let's have a moment of silence for Idris Uh uh-oh need a new pair of panties I'm just kidding (laughs) Uh just kidding Uh (laughs) uh-oh
1: all right so moving on this one is from Maylee I've picked up a lot to avoid being murdered by menfolk Never have men you aren't familiar with in your home or any secluded place in their home where no one can hear you scream. Never have men poke in your car. If you're going Uh, on a date, always drive separate and park near the entrance for safety. Very smart. uh, Tell family folks where you're meeting men. Do not accept last-minute changes to location for dates or meetups, especially to places you're unfamiliar with. That's also very smart. Check the yeah. back seat before you slide into the car, especially at night. Trust Goosebumps and the hair on the back of your neck. Lock your doors. The house doors, the car doors, criminals, be casual and just walk in boldly to places. They are mm-hmm. about easy and quick access. That's true. If you see mm-hmm. black people running away in public,
2: join them. <laughs> now, I I have to say that that is that is a true statement now i don't know if you're familiar with with the bird box epidemic
1: i I haven't watched the movie yet so but i know about it
2: well the whole gist is if there are if there are birds in your midst and the birds stop chirping be very afraid now if there are black people in your midst and the the black people start a running be very afraid. Start, start running so, too. <laughs> yeah, black people are the bird box of America. You don't need you don't need Sandy. Sandy, we love you, but you don't need her. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> this last one uh, is uh, a how not to get murder tip from Denisa, and she says. Uh, I take the stairs if there's a chance I'm getting into an elevator by myself with someone I don't know in a building. Thankfully, the stairs are usually before the elevator in buildings I've lived in or visited. So, yes, that is good, a good great tip. tip. Yeah. Yes. So now we are going to get into some serial killer or crime news. Um a listener gave us this one and uh, shame on me because I didn't note who or where it came from. So I'm really sorry. Usually I do take notes. So forgive me. I love everybody who's out there in the streets engaging with us. Oh, but Beth found who it was. <laughs> oh
1: no. Thanks, it, it was, well, I think uh, somebody else uh, gave you this. And then also Amanda in our Facebook group also shared this story with us. So I think a couple of people.
2: Oh, Picture so I'm not super trash, okay? Well, uh, you could be super trash. I don't know. I could still be super trash. Hey, dumpster of a human being over here. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that's not uh, true. Let's... <laughs> that is not true. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um. So, um, I use my tears to hydrate. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <this> <laughs> uh. <laughs> This, this this listener shared a story about a white guy who's uh killing black gay dudes. Um she said Hey, ladies, I know I should probably write an email, but this was so scary right up your alley that I had to tell you right away. I'm just now hearing about a possible serial killer in Hollywood. Whoa! A white dude killing black gay men. I attached the article, and maybe you could give a few thoughts on it in an upcoming podcast. People are protesting, asking for the authorities to arrest Ed Buck. He's the suspect. Uh, There's not much of a definitive story yet. Um, But there since she sent us that message, message the story has developed a little bit my understanding is that ed buck is a super rich super white super liberal white guy um who uh has more has had more than one black man die on his property and he's not facing any legal action whatsoever That's um nuts. the laurel Ave, yeah The Laurel Avenue Avenue home of a prominent West Hollywood LGBTQ political activist has been the scene of two mysterious deaths in the last two years. In both cases, black men were found dead inside the home of Ed Buck. Uh, The first death was in 2017, involved drugs. And authorities said there was insufficient evidence to file charges. The second death at Buck's home this week is now under investigation It's not really this week, but recently uh, with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department saying it will take another look at the first case, the death. The deaths have sparked protests from activists who complain that authorities are not doing enough. The problem with the story, like in the one we told during this episode, is that Black and LGBTQ bodies are not of value enough for authorities to pursue pursue any claims against them. Uh, Investigations or convictions following their slayings are just... eh. Well, we'll get to it. Yeah. And yeah. we, yeah, <laughs> we see it over and over and over again, since the beginning of the forming of our nation, it's saddening and it's maddening, but by reporting and sharing the story, we may be able to affect meaningful change. And my underst- I one sick ass thing I heard about this dude is he likes to um, inject dudes with yeah. opiates yeah. or opioids and um, watch them get high. And then they like, my assumption was that they would uh, engage in sexual acts with him. And then he watches them overdose and like, doesn't do anything about it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Which is, and I think part of the the problem problem is he's, he's rich. He's a rich white guy. Yeah. So
2: he's a rich white guy and Uh they don't really have any rules. Just look at Batman who, in my eyes, uh, I think (laughs) Batman is actually a bad guy, not a good guy. So you know what? At me all Uh, you want. (laughs) I was thinking of, uh, who's that
1: other guy who killed his wife? The celebrity. Um, he was Beretta. He
2: was Beretta. You don't, do you, you you don't remember Beretta? I don't know who Beretta is, but you know, what comes to mind is, uh, Ted Kennedy, who did so many great things for poor communities and people of color but he did kill that lady uh, yeah. or like watched her die in that. What is it? Chappaquiddick. Yeah. And, like, Chappaquiddick. Nobody did yeah. it. Like nobody, nobody did, did anything. anything about it. Like you just yeah. look at, you just set out a couple press press statements and then like continue with your life. What?
1: <laughs> Robert Blake is the guy I was thinking of.
2: Oh yeah. Robert yeah, Blake. Robert I do Blake. remember that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's, it's, quite amazing how uh the how the justice system touches differently and different people different backgrounds different colors in different ways Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah it doesn't seem to be unusual that a rich celebrity white guy uh can get away with this kind of stuff
2: yeah, and there's so many reasons why that is too many to get into, and in, and in, in, in this one episode. But just stay tuned; we'll talk yeah, about it. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> about <point>. it. Eventually. <laughs> 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 so now we're gonna get into the shout out section of our show, where we shout out any content by really any marginalized minority group of people or person um, and any true crime goodies so um I wanted to shout out to that crazy ass documentary on Netflix about Ted Bundy that dropped this week it was so entertaining did you watch it I actually did yeah well I haven't finished it yet Wee! but but I did start watching oh. it yeah oh so good it is a true crime goodie for sure I, I couldn't not mention it um but here's where the people of color come in. The jury that convicted him. I have never seen so many black people, including black women, on one jury in my whole ass, black ass life. That's crazy. I wonder. I know. I I I, I don't know if anybody picked up on this. Like everybody's like, oh, Ted Buddy, he's so great. Oh, he's so smart. Oh, wow, he killed so many people. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff. But did you see the jury? Because I wonder. If it had been in any other jurisdiction, if the jury makeup had been different, if the results of his conviction and downfall would have been any have different. Might have been different, yeah. I was, I I just, I, I, I've never seen a jury like that before in my whole life. I don't know if there's been a jury like that since. <laughs> um, and I just... Uh, cause you're not slipping anything past any black women. Okay. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's why I, I, that's probably why I've never been on a jury to this day. I, I went on the court, the Maricopa County court website, looking for places to volunteer myself as a juror. Oh, wow. Uh, You can't do that. I want to be on a jury so bad. Uh, And of course you never get called. (laughs) And of course I never get called and I never get picked. Uh, So anyway, because they don't like black women on jurors. So anyway, so uh, that was, that was my big takeaway from, from that Netflix documentary, which is really good. Stop what you're doing. Go watch it. (laughs) (laughs) all right so mine
1: is it's not so much of a shout out as it is a heads up and and uh again this is a true crime goodie. unfortunately not uh having to do with people of color but on february 1st so when this Mm -hmm. episode drops it'll be tomorrow uh 2020 we'll be airing a special two-hour episode about dennis rader uh also known as btk
2: Oh, drop a bomb.
1: Yeah. (laughs) He's fascinating. He's a serial killer and a white dude who gave himself Mm -hmm. the moniker. He gave it to himself, the moniker BTK, which stands for Mm -hmm. Bind, Torture, Kill. And he Mm -hmm. terrorized Wichita, Kansas from 1974 to 1991. And then he just stopped. Uh, But he was finally caught in 2005 when he couldn't stop himself from corresponding with the police. Anyway, it's Mm. going to feature an interview with his daughter, Carrie Rawson, and that's what I'm interested in. She's written a book, really. Yeah. Mm. And uh, that's why BTK is suddenly getting uh, some media attention again. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been a lot of media attention about him recently. Uh, it's because she she's uh, dropping this book this week.
2: She's dropping a book. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Okay. okay, okay and I personally, I'm,
1: I am always interested in the experiences of the relatives and friends of serial killers, their point of view. Yeah. Um. I want to know what they saw what that was like
2: i'm so fascinated yeah. by that i think it's really interesting i, I yeah i agree with you it's fascinating I agree 100 percent. and also it kind of goes back to the how
1: not to get murdered thing because like what what do i need to look for <laughs> yeah
2: <You know? laughs> what should i be um, looking for let me get my pencil and uh, paper <laughs> yeah. here uh uh if- you could just take a minute to answer a few of my questions, Miss Wilson. Um and, and she'll probably post some bullshit like it's in my book. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Which I've already purchased it on on Are You
2: Serious? Wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm on top Woo! of that
2: one. All right. All right, Miss Well, this has been so much fun. That's it for us today. Where can the people find us, Beth?
1: Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download to your phone, or you can find online at cashme dollar sign pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean Patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. That's right. We
2: love all the love that you've been giving us. Now keep in mind. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
0: We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go.